to be here with you all this morning. You know, Elder Bloyd has joked with me before that I got the longest drive here, and I'm often one of the first here. <laughs> On the two-hour drive here, though, I had tears of, of happiness and, and sadness. I thought a lot of my great-aunt who passed away not too long ago. She loved us. She was part of the Primitive Baptist faith, and she told me that the Primitive Baptists don't mind driving. <laughs> I find that to be very true, but I thought about her a lot on the drive up. I, I really do miss her. We'll start our scriptures in Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Now for the words of the true and living God. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. It's been, I guess, about a year I've been back from Kuwait, one of my last military deployments or assignments overseas, and I longed for the old Baptist fellowship. I would often sit in an empty chapel and sing hymns and listening to different sermons. I had a strong desire to walk in the old path. Last time I was blessed to to open here, I opened with the prodigal son. I kind of mentioned how I thought the parable was wrongly named. I would like to visit a different parable today. We are blessed by the translators, by the beautiful translation we have. Oftentimes you'll see this one called Parable of the Laborers. And I think it should be titled The Owner of the Vineyard. As I study different commentaries, I came across this a quote or by Spurgeon I would like to talk or mention briefly because it deals with this parable as well on unconditional election. A woman came up to Spurgeon and said, I could just not, I cannot understand how God could hate Esau. Spurgeon's beautiful response is said, I cannot understand why God should love Jacob. We are all sinners. And as we turn to this parable, it's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, starting with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like, a, is like unto a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he hath agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And then oftentimes when we study the parables... People fail to, they apply a different hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is biblical interpretation. They will apply a different interpretation for this parable or for this parable. It's important that we imply the same interpretation that we are going to use for the doctrines of the Trinity, for unconditional election, for all our doctrines, that we apply that same hermeneutic, that we don't create allegories and parables that are not there. And what we see here is a business owner. I think this is a beautiful parable because a business owner is free to do with his business as he pleases. It is his capital, his resources, employees. 
he is free to do with his business as he pleases. Then when he, when he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And he went about the sixth hour. As we can see, the day is progressing. He's realizing that he will need more laborers for his vineyard to accomplish his task. And if anybody's from the south, if anybody's worked on farms and agriculture, certain crops, you know, can be time sensitive in the the vineyard. Getting things is time sensitive. The owner is realizing he is going to need more workers, so he goes out. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? Because no man hath hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right that ye shall receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. So you can imagine he's bringing all the laborers together. He's about to give them their their fare for the day. And when they came, they were hired about the 11th hour. They received every man a penny. So imagine how all the employees felt, the ones that joined at the 11th hour. I've worked some long days in the military, 12-hour shifts. So imagine how the ones that work the full 12-hour shift are, are feeling the sentiment they have as they see the, the laborers that only worked an hour receive the same wage. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they have received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying they have... These last have wrought about, these last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong, didst not thou agree with me for a penny? They feel there is some sort of injustice that they are being treated unfairly. Take that Thine is, and go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. It is, is it not lawful for me to do with what I will with mine own and thine eye, evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few are chosen." As we can see in this beautiful parable by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, no one in this parable received injustice. The last workers, they got grace. They got what they didn't deserve. The beginning workers received justice. They got what they deserved, what they agreed to. The only person that received injustice was the landowner for the slander that he received from the, from the workers. And as I think about this response, I feel oftentimes when we preach on the sovereignty of God or unconditional election, people feel the need as if they have to rescue God. But my response is, our God is in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. 
unconditional election. God has not God has chosen to save a specific people. The first 39 books illustrate this specific on who received his law, revelation and word. I've had people say, well, Brother Chad, couldn't God come down and save every single person right now? Well, I said God has made particular promises in the Old Testament. God cannot go against his own attributes. God cannot lie. And the response, God is holy, holy, holy. People don't like that, though. They want a God that is trying to save everyone, that he is doing the best that he can, but ultimately he can fail to save That is not the God of scriptures. That is not the God that I worship. He shall bring forth his son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall save his people. Not make his people save a bull, but save his people. If there is one empty chair in heaven, God has failed. And that is not my savior. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the scriptures. Those who do not receive the electing grace of God do not receive injustice. They receive justice. God will be justified in all his acts and all his deeds. When injections are raised, it shows that people truly do not understand the severity of their sins. There is none righteous. No, not one. There are no God seekers. Our tongue is an open grave. We are children of wrath. And my brothers and sisters, I'm quoting scripture. This is about our true nature. We need a perfect savior. And we have that in Jesus Christ. That people do not understand the severity, the need for a savior. And oftentimes I've heard this failed Arminian analogy is that we are drowning. We're going down for the last time and we are thrown a life raft, which is the gospel, which is God's saving grace. And we're going down, but it's up to us to grab it. But my brothers and sisters, dead men don't grab. We are dead in sin. Spiritually dead. Dead men don't grab. And my response aligns with the Apostle Paul's. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? That you expect God to come down from his throne and perform for you. I think of the of love and, and loss. I think of the beautiful hymn writer Fanny Crosby. We sing many of our beautiful hymns in church. Many beautiful hymns, and if you do not know that she later, she was not born blind, but became later blind in life. And one person said, I could not believe that God would take vision from such a gifted person. Fanny Crosby's response is so beautiful. She says, if I could have had it my way, I would have been born blind. So when I get to heaven... The first face I will see is when I am in the loving arms of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your time. Appreciate the message that Brother Chad has brought forth and ask an interest in your prayers the time that we stand before you.
would like to uh, speak about the uh, the unseen hand. The unseen hand. The last time I was here, I believe, was the first Sunday in uh, of this this month, and. Uh, the second weekend I was at Salisbury at the Salisbury Church and had a really wonderful meeting with the little group of folks there. And Pastor's Elder Robbins, he's been here before, he's almost 83 years old and still uh, desiring to pastor the church and it's, it's a struggle for him, but it was a blessing to be with them and encourage the little group at Salisbury. Last weekend I was not here, was uh, overcoming my time frame and round with COVID and uh, thankful that uh, I better and have tested negative. So that is behind. Last time I preached here, the, the title was uh, Don't Jump Ship, Stay on Board, Hold on Tight. And the lesson that the Apostle Paul gives to the folks in Acts chapter 27 is that if you'll if you'll stay on board the ship, if you'll you'll stay on board, if you don't jump ship, if you'll stay on board, if you hold on tight, there's not going to be any loss of life. And so I have to tell you that as, as I was preaching it, uh, I always pray that the message will be helpful to you all and a blessing and somewhat of a, an inspiration in these difficult times that we're living in right now. But I have to tell you that as I was preaching, I thought to myself, I wonder if this is meant for me. And later on, I realized that it was. I don't know if it's meant for anyone else here, but I know that it was meant for me. The, uh, the road got pretty hard after that. As you know, that we're in the elder care business, assisted living. We were excited that residents could go home over the holidays and be with their family been some of them two years since they'd been out and we were excited but as they began to come back those that had gone out they came back and they had contracted COVID before the the uh, before we were completely through which I don't know that we are we had someone that was uh, positive in every single uh, facility that we had and sometimes multiple folks and when that happens, you go into a quarantine state. There's a lot of extra challenges with staff when they get positive and just a whole lot of challenges. But I was encouraged because in the past we've always had, as I've mentioned, and I'm just going to mention this for two or three minutes, but I've been very supportive of the monoclonal antibody infusion because in every case, whether folks were vaccinated or not, they always did well our residents, other folks as well. Well, when this happened that uh, folks began to be positive, I began to try to make calls to allow them to get the monoclonal infusion. And folks were either shut down or they were completely out. And I called over 25 places and I, I began to pray. And I said, Lord, if there's one place in the state of Maryland that has any of these treatments that can be allowed, would you point me in that direction? And I began to get discouraged because we had residents that in the past, there was a clear line of those that took the infusion and those that did not as far as the outcome. 
And so after making calls and getting a little bit discouraged about nine o'clock at night, and I believe God was in this, uh, I was given the name of a doctor to call and they said, call this doctor. And when I called him, he says, I can help you. He says, I, I have the infusion and I'm able to help. So I loaded up our handicapped bus and our, our driver was sick with COVID. And I thought I'm going to, for the next two weeks, schedule and take residents and staff to get this infusion. I was very thankful that that happened. Some of the church members have even gotten it uh, as well that, that uh, were stricken with COVID. So I was very, very thankful for that. But I also knew that uh, there was a good possibility that, that I might uh, contract it because I was around it every day, multiple times throughout, throughout the week. Uh, so the way that the Lord worked it, for multiple weeks, we went through this process of taking the residents and every single one responded extremely well and fully recovered. When I was at the uh, infusion center just outside Washington, some of folks went two plus hours to, to get the infusion. When I was outside and we just were completing the last group of residents, uh, I generally test on a weekly basis. I'd started feeling bad the, the day before and and had gone and gotten my test. And as we were just about to finish this last batch, my, uh, my test came across my phone that it was positive. I pretty well knew that I was because I had the symptoms that, that, that came along with it. And when I talked to the doctor, he said, go in right now. And within 15 minutes of getting my positive result, I was able to get the infusion, which was a great blessing. So I was thankful that God had blessed us to get everybody treated. And I was taking the last batch back and then went through this uh, period myself of being sick for a little while. But I responded well to the infusion. And then just a few days after that, I got a phone call from my sister that uh, she was having symptoms. I was more concerned about her and I told the doctor, I said, we've tried for two years to protect my sister who has a rare autoimmune illness. And I was with her in Cleveland Clinic when the doctor told her, he said, you don't want to catch any variant of COVID. It'll be hard for you to get over. We were thankful that we were able to get her to the infusion center the next day. She's still overcoming it. It was harder for her than it was for me, but I went to the Eastern shore and stayed close by her for several days, knowing that if it got into her lungs, it's like Elder Bradley's wife said, it's like super glue in your lungs that you can't get out. God has blessed her to respond well and she's doing well. As I was driving the bus with sick residents coughing, with a nurse, with uh, a manager, I couldn't help but think of the message that I brought about don't jump ship, stay on board and hold on tight. And there will be no loss of life. And there wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I give God the glory for that. 
So when I look back, I look at this and I say, the songwriter knew what he was talking about when he said, there is an unseen hand to me that leads through ways that I cannot see. While going through this world of woe, this hand still leads me as I go. I'm trusting to the unseen hand that guides me through this weary land. And some sweet day, I'll reach that strand still guided by the unseen hand. There's a whole lot that's going on that that we don't see. We focus oftentimes on what we can see and we get discouraged about what we see. But there's a lot going on that we don't see. That God has working for our good. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's an example right here of Elisha that the, uh, the king of Syria was sore troubled against Elisha. And he sent a host of chariots and horses to encompass around Elijah, Elijah and the servant came back to Elijah and he said to him, this is in second Kings chapter six, and he came back and he was extremely fearful because what the servant saw was all of the horses and chariots of the enemy. And that's all he could see. What Elisha knew and what God blessed Elisha to see was what was going on behind the scenes. And so the servant came and the servant with the knowledge that he had with what he saw, he was extremely fearful. And so Elisha says he he talks to God. It says, therefore, sent he this is talking about the king of Syria, horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and they circled the city. And when the servant, the man of God, was risen early and had gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both horses and chariots with his servants and said unto him, alas, my master, how shall we do or what shall we do? It looks like that the enemy is stronger than we are. It looks like the enemy is all around us. It looks like that from what we see, there's not a way out. There's no way of anything being better. And so this servant was overcome with fear. And I tell you that that's many of the tactics that folks use today are fear tactics. But look at what Elisha said. And he answered, Elisha answered, and he said, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. So that's a real, there's some really good points that Elisha is telling right here that are good for us to hold on to as well. First of all, he says, don't fear. Now, that's a a tactic that's used very much in the world in which we live today. And sadly, people are so overwhelmed and overcome with fear. 
and, 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 and folks motivate by fear. They try to motivate others to do things by fear. Right here, Elisha comes to the servant and he tells the servant, he says, don't be overcome with fear. He says, those that are far, that are for us are more than those that are against us. Can I tell you that in the day in which we live, we may look around us and things may look discouraging and dismal and and dark and we may become overwhelmed and and despondent. But the good news is there's there's more, not just a few more, but there's a whole lot more for us than those that are against us. God has a host in heaven that's for us. God himself is for us. And he does things for our good and for his glory. And he says, there's more for us that are, than are against us. And look what Elisha said. Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and this is what he saw. And he saw and he said, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And God ended up taking care of Elisha. But Elisha prayed that his eyes, that the eyes of the young man would be opened. And, you know, that would help us in dealing with the struggles and challenges that we have. If we not focus on what we see, but focus on what we know, that God is taking care of us and there's more that are for us than there is that are against us. Now, let's go to Psalm chapter 139, Psalm 139. There's three things about God, about the character of God that are brought out right here in Psalm 139. That will help us as we think on the unseen hand of God. That's working for our benefit, for our good, that's protecting us, that's guiding us, that's there for us. Number one, God is omniscient. And it's brought out in this chapter. What does that mean? It means that God knows everything. God created the heavens and the earth. God knows everything. It tells us in Psalm 147 that great is the Lord and his understanding is infinite. It's infinite. God knows everything. In uh, John chapter 1, we're reminded that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. God knows everything. Unlike us, God knows everything about the future. We know a little bit about the past We may think that we have a little bit of control over the future, but very little that we have. But God knows everything in the past. God knows everything right now. 
And God knows everything in the future. That's not saying that God is controlling everything or or mandating everything in the future. But God knows everything. Parents. God gives parents an extra census, if you will. You know your children better than anybody else. And you know the consequences of their actions and their decisions very much. Pretty well, you know that based on the children that God's given you. You might get it right much of the time or most of the time, but God gets it right all the time. God knows everything there is to know about the future. God knows everything there is to know right now. God knows everything in the past. God knows everything about us. He knows he knows what we're thinking about right now. He knows what our struggles are. He knows what our difficulties are. God knows everything. And so when the psalmist starts right here, he says, Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and you know me. And he said, thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Thou understand my thought afar off. The psalmist is saying right here, David is saying, he says, You know when I'm down, you know when I'm up. You know my thoughts afar off. You know everything that there is about me. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. David says, God knows not only about my downsetting, my uprising. God knows all my ways He says, for there is not a word in my tongue, but, oh, Lord, that thou knowest it altogether. God knows all of our thoughts. God knows all of our words. God knows everything that there is to know about us. He says, there's not a word in my tongue, but, Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast set, thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. And then David says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. It's 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 hard for me to fathom and imagine the knowledge, the vastness of the knowledge that God has. God is omniscient. God knows everything. The next one. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? That means that God is everywhere. God is everywhere. He's nowhere absent. If you go over to John, you can read the story about Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And as Lazarus died and and, and Jesus Christ knew exactly what was happening, it wasn't a surprise to Jesus Christ. And he actually delayed his journey to them. It says he delayed his journey. I believe it was a couple of days that he delayed his journey. And so Martha comes to him as, as, as Lazarus has died. And Martha comes to him and greets him outside and says to him, she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha comes to him and tells that. And then when Mary sees, sees Jesus, Mary says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you just made it in time, my brother wouldn't have died. And 
excuse me, Jesus said, I'm working this for the glory of God and that you might believe. God has a purpose in doing things on his time frame. He does. God, it's not, God is never late. God does not, uh, he's always on time. He's always just right. And he says that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God was with them. He wasn't with them in bodily form, but he knew exactly what was taking place with Lazarus at the time. So God, Jesus Christ was not late when he traveled to meet Lazarus. Jesus Christ was just exactly right on time. And so there's things in our life sometimes that that we would like for God to fix more quickly. We'd like sometimes for God to be more timely. We'd like for God to do things on our time frame. We'd like for God to work in the lives of some of his people where we could see it. I, I remember brother, I'll share this brother. Mike would probably share it himself if he was here, but uh, Corbin uh, grew up and then he, he went away from the Lord and Corbin will tell you that as well. And I remember brother Mike saying, he says, I really believe the verse where it says you train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And brother Mike says, I believe that verse, but I don't know if I'm going to live to see it. Well, God does it on his timing. He does. We had an old sister in the church at Lubbock. Wonderful old sister. Sister Effie Flynn. She lived to be up late 80s, 90s. Different ones in the church would pick her up and and take her to church. And she loved going to church. She loved the Lord. It was a great blessing to her. And she is a great inspiration. I think she had five or six children. Not a one of them took her to church. After she died, I don't know how God works it, his timing. One by one, those children came back to church. I think almost every single one of them came. I thought to myself, there's not anything in the world that would have made that old sister any happier than to know that those children were there in the house of the Lord. They, they ended up living there in the church and, and the rest of their life. But I don't know how God works things. God is sovereign as, as, as Brother Chad brought out. God's sovereign in that. Old brother, old Strickland was the pastor where Sonny Piles was before, before Sonny Piles was the pastor at Graham, Texas, Medlin Chapel, the oldest church in Texas of Primitive Baptist, I believe. And he took his children to church And he read the scriptures to them and he prayed with them and he taught them in the ways of the Lord. And somebody came up to him one day and said, Elder Strickland, why are you doing that with your children? You don't know if they're elect or not. You don't know if God's going to call them or not. Why are you doing that? He said, you're right. I don't know, but I've been taught by God that that's my responsibility to do. And he says, when the Lord does call them, when the Lord does touch their heart, 
they're going to know where to go. He didn't shift the responsibility of training up the children in the way they should go. So God is everywhere present. And let's read the verses that support that. David says, where shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I send into heaven, he says, thou art there. David's David is giving the comparison right here. He said, God is with me everywhere. If I send into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy right hand, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall the night light shall be about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as day and the darkness and the light both are alike unto thee. David is saying that no matter where I am, God is there. No matter whether I'm up on the mountaintop, no matter whether I'm in the valley, no matter whether I'm far away from my people or I'm right there in the house of God, God is there. He's there with me. God is omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere present. The next one I like that's brought out in this chapter is that. God is omnipotent. What does that mean? God has all power. Appreciated what Brother Chad brought forth about God's not trying to do anything. God's not trying to save a people. I have some good news for Brother Chad and the rest of you here. I didn't grow up believing in election. I didn't grow up believing in predestination. I didn't know anything about it. Wasn't that I posted, just didn't know that it was in there. And as a 15-year-old young man, it was brought to my attention that God is sovereign. God is sovereign in who he chooses and how he chooses. He's got a big family. And it's not based upon our decision, but it's based upon God's decision, God's choosing. And when I first heard it, I didn't readily embrace it. But the good news that I have for Brother Chad, and it's good news for me, is that that once you begin to study it, it begins to become so clear that there's just not anything else that makes that much sense. It's to me just as clear as two and two is four. But, But God has to tender our hearts and open our eyes To have an understanding of who he is and who we are. It helps a whole lot if we just simply understand who we are. Brother Chad brought that out. We're just simply depraved sinners that we're not worthy. And if we ever can understand what our position is, we don't have a problem understanding election. Because it's like you said, why would God not love Esau, it was why in the world would God love Jacob? Why would he have any 
Uh, I remember Brother Phil, your dad, hearing it uh, from Brother George Johnson. And he said, it sounds like Jacob, uh, that God showed some favoritism to Jacob. Well, God did show favoritism to every single child of God that he touches with his spirit. Whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. God had favor upon them, not because they were favorable, but because he was a righteous and holy God and he shed his love upon us. Not because we're so lovable in spite of us. Let's look at this. God is all powerful. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Christ himself declares all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So let's look at some verses here that support that God is all powerful. For thou hast possessed my reins, verse 13. We'll go with verses 13, maybe down through 18 or 19. For thou hast possessed my reins, that thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now I want to tell you, I think this is, I think this is a good place to put it in right here. You were precious in the sight of God even before you were born in this earth. And this verse right here supports that. God knew you and you were precious in his sight. You didn't become precious when you accepted him. You didn't become precious when you were born I mean, these little babies, I, I just one of my greatest delights is going to the hospital and and holding these little babies and having the first prayer uh, as the pastor, not the first prayer that's been prayed for them. Many times the, the family's been praying for months, even before they were conceived. I've heard of parents that pray for their children even before they're conceived. So many times there's prayer, but it's a great joy to go to the hospital and see this little newborn, newborn baby and to be able to pray with them. But you were precious in the sight of God even before you were born. And right here, this tells it. He says, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret before you're born physically and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned as yet when none of them. David says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. He says, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And when I'm awake, I am still with thee. God is omnipotent. omnipotent. He is all powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He is all powerful. David says, when I think about this, about the power of God and how that he is all powerful, he says, he just says, it's precious thoughts to me. How great is the sum of them? He said, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And he says, and when I awake, I'm still with thee. So David sums up the chapter 
He said, God knows everything. God is everywhere. And God is all powerful. He said, so God. Search me. Now that's hard to do. Because there's some things that you don't want God to search you. And sometimes you abhor that God knows everything that there is to know about you. But here's what David says. Search me, O God. And know my heart. And he says, and know my thoughts. And he says, and see if there be any wicked, wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David said, God, you know everything there is to know. You have all power. You're everywhere present. I want you to search my life. I want you to reveal it to me. Bless me with a heart to repent. And bless me to have a relationship with you. We're not talking about securing your home in heaven. You're already heaven bound. We're talking about the relationship that we have with God right here. Not concerned about somebody else. It's between ourselves and God. God, who knows everything, is everywhere, and has all power. That's truly the unseen hand that leads us in ways that we cannot see that guides us through this weary world. And some sweet day, we'll reach that land still guided by God's unseen hand. God bless you.